So one idea for um, the title that we had for, for this talk this morning was The Comeback Kid. Um, and if you don't know, that is a film from the 80s. Um, and I thought in my prep that I would sit and watch this film and see if there are any inspiring nuggets that I could gauge from the storyline, that I could take and apply for some visual aid for this talk. Has anyone seen this film? If I'm honest, that's what I expected. <laughs> it's, it was made in the 80s. It's very hard to find online anywhere. I managed to find a very blurry, small, square YouTube version of it with tinny sound and a blurry screen. Um, but it's this riches to rags story of an overly confident baseball player who gets kicked off the team for some PG-13 bad behaviour and flirts his way onto coaching a little league team um, to make some quick cash. Um, that's about as far as I got before I turned it off. <laughs> But what the internet tells me, having read a synopsis, is that perhaps quite predictably, this then turns into him having a change of heart and it's, it becomes his own personal redemption story. It gets a 5 out of 10 on IMDb and it doesn't even place on Rotten Tomatoes. That's the kind of... I'm not telling you to go away and watch it. You don't need to. Um, but you may have not seen it, but we have all seen these Hollywood epics that follow this kind of narrative of these personal redemption stories. But in my perhaps half cynical, my beef with it was that I've seen this before. I've seen this before. My explicit segue into our talk this morning is that the resurrection of Jesus was anything but predictable. It was not this Hollywood narrative, but something surprising. The reason I chose to do a long reading is because I'd love to just walk us through some of the scenes and some of the moments that took place as we were reading through it. If you're like me, you might skim read these sections to get to the main part of the story faster at the expense of missing out on some poignant and beautiful moments. So first we have Simon and John running to the tomb. And this isn't just your casual morning jog. This is a sprint. This is the kind of sprint that you do when you see your child pegging it towards a main road. This is for any of you doctors, nurses, police, first responders in the room. This is the emergency dash that you make when you've been, called, when you've been told to get somewhere now. It's the kind of run that you do when you don't know what's going to be on the other side, when you're second-guessing everything that you know about life as you're sprinting and as you're running. And then we have Mary Magdalene. She's come outside of the tomb and perhaps she's even propping herself up against the stone just to hold up her own body weight as she cries, as she weeps. But it's not just grieving that she's experiencing, but it's unfulfilled grief. How can you mourn when there is no body to cry over? When you think that the authorities have stolen the body of your friend and your leader? When we pause and consider these moments in full, these are heavy and distressing moments. 
This is raw and honest responses to loss. Jesus' followers were still sat in terror and fear of the unknown, of what's to come next. But I'm intentionally lingering in these moments. We should try and sit with these emotions because that makes what comes next even more incredible. In the flustered panic felt by Simon and John and the other disciples, in the indignant grief poured out by Mary, Jesus appeared to, him, appeared to them, fully alive and fully present. And we don't have to imagine their reactions. Mary cries out and tightly clings to Jesus' body. And the room where the disciples have gathered goes from sombre to celebration and joy. I kind of imagine this sort of football team goal-esque moment where they all crowd around him and start jumping up and down. And there's a few people at the fringes tapping them all on the back. They move from mourning to dancing. And this is the journey of Easter week that we mark and we move through. From reflection and remembrance on Thursday and Friday and Saturday to joy and gratitude today. And perhaps even for ourselves, we move through from somber to celebration. Augustine, um, who was this priest in the fourth century, um, he was alive in North Africa, a place called Hippo. He said, we are an Easter people and hallelujah is our hymn of praise. We are an Easter people and hallelujah is our hymn of praise. To live as Easter people is living in the confidence and knowledge that our God conquered the grave, that Jesus rose and was alive and fully present. And with that deep conviction and joy comes the understanding that there is nothing that our God is not capable of. Nowhere is this more powerfully declared than in the letter to the church in Corinth, which Paul declares proudly and triumphantly, where, O oh death, is your victory? Where, O oh death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law, but thanks be to God, He gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Our hallelujah, as Augustine puts it, can be this conviction that not even death can put a stop to God's power and plan. We are not Easter people for just one specific day of the year, but for all eternity because of what God has done. So that's what I want to zoom in on this morning. What does it mean for us to be an Easter people, to live out this truth and knowledge? There's a quote that's going to come up from Tom Wright, and it says, Hope for the Christian church is not wishful thinking or mere blind optimism. It's a mode of knowing, a mode within which new things are possible. Options are not shut down. New creation can happen. I think it's important to establish that the resurrection of Jesus is not a metaphor or symbolism. 
The Bible is filled with imagery and stories and parables that are there to teach us lessons and to help us understand big, vast concepts about the character and nature of God. So we can be forgiven for thinking that the resurrection could be another one of these analogies, a metaphor for who God is. But there is substantial evidence for the resurrection of Jesus. I don't have time to go through it this morning, but if you're interested, if you want to know more about that, we can recommend some books um, or come along to, is it week two or week three of Alpha? I'm looking at, it's week three. Come along to week three of Alpha. But when Jesus rode from the dead, it signified that this new world, this new creation was not some far off ideal, but here, and now. The new way of living had begun with Jesus in that moment and we get to live a life in step with him. We get a taste of the first fruit of everything that is good and everything that is to come. The motion of God is all about recreating, renewing, shifting, changing, bringing light into the darkest places, bringing life from death, beauty, from ashes. So not simply a distant prospect, but actualized in our day to day. Let's just circle back to Mary Magdalene and the other disciples. By human standards, death was the end. They had the hope that they had of a savior, a messiah, this one king to rule over all had gone. He'd been murdered. The authorities had won and they'd lost their leader and friend. They were hopeless and confused. I wonder if any of us can relate to these emotions. There will be heartbreak in this room. There will be loss in this room. There will be conflict and frustration, exhaustion and insecurities held by all of us in different ways. But by being Easter people, we live with the expectation that Jesus is meeting us in our emotions and redeeming these situations. This is the good news of the kingdom of God. And we have it for ourselves, but we also have it to offer others. It's not just for us, but it's for the whole of creation. He is making all things new. So to be an Easter people, it matters what we do. It matters what we say. It matters how we engage with people here and now. Because we carry the knowledge and understanding and our own experiences and testimonies and stories of God working in surprising ways, moving in situations that seemed unmovable, fighting for unjust structures. This is the victory that we've sung about. This is the victory of the resurrection. Um, I now have a confession to make. Um, what I actually said at the start of this talk uh, is a little bit misleading. The resurrection of Jesus was unpredictable, but only for the disciples. It wasn't unpredictable for God, and it doesn't need to be a surprise to us. 
Jesus' rising from the grave was predicted and prophesied in the Old Testament. And Jesus told the disciples himself that he, the Son of God, would rise from the dead on the third day. It was all part of his game plan. It was all in the strategy. It was plan A of the blueprint. But they hadn't paid proper attention. And in the confusion and the chaos of what had just unfolded, they forgot to remind themselves of who Jesus really was and what he was truly capable of. Being an Easter people means that there is a certainty, an assurance that comes when we worship a God that has all authority and is completely faithful. This is what it is to live in light of the resurrection. Jesus appears through the cloud of our chaos, our broken world, through our panic, appearing in our grief and our disappointments and saying, this is not the end. Not even death can extinguish hope. There's a verse in Hebrews 6 that says, for we have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. I go into Winchester Prison as a chaplain um, and one of the questions that I ask pretty much every guy that I meet is what keeps you anchored? What keeps you anchored? It's a really helpful and insightful way of gauging where their mind is at and what they value, what keeps them steady. In chaplaincy, we are constantly coming across guys who have reached the end of themselves. As you can imagine, there aren't many more unstable or volatile environments than a prison. But to be anchored is to constantly reaffirm in yourself, what keeps me steady? What reminds me of who I am? What keeps me going? And who do I look to in times of need? As Christians, it is the hope that we have in the death, the resurrection, and the life everlasting of Jesus Christ that keeps us anchored. Easter people are people of hope, of certainty, of assurance. We, the church, are people of hope and certainty and assurance. This is the thing that sets us apart from our sports clubs and our uni societies. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul through the thick and, th- through the thick and thin, through the highs and the lows. And so to come back to this saying that Augustine said, this hallelujah, our hallelujah is pointing to being deeply rooted in the truth of the resurrection. It's a hallelujah for what has taken place. It's a hallelujah for the renewal of creation that is unfolding around us. And it's a hallelujah for the confidence and joy that we can have continually when we place our hope and our trust in God. This is what we hold to. This is what we expect. And this is the joy that sustains us and keeps us moving forward.